Welcome again to another edition of the It Me podcast. We're here. The NBA Finals are almost upon us. We're down to our last three teams, although it's really just two if we're thinking about it, huh, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty much done. Like, it, it got interesting for about 48 hours in the East, and then <laughs> uh, the second half of Game 4 happened, and, and we're back on track for, for Cavs-Warriors, so... Um, we're, we're, we're on our way to, to the inevitable. It took a little, little speed bump, but, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's going to be really good. I mean, we talked about it last time we, uh, last time we recorded, it's, it's going to be a, a tremendous series and, um, eventually, eventually we'll get to that finals. We're going to have like a week off so long as, uh, Cavs take care of business Thursday night, which is exactly why we're doing what we're doing with today's podcast because we've got a week off the summer's coming upon us it's time to watch a little bit of baseball and also a good time to drink some beer really excited about our guest this week sam caligioni from dogfish head brewery um i have to say it's my dad's favorite brewery out of all of them and he's a craft beer guy big time um sam how are you today and uh what's your favorite part of the summer my favorite part of the summer is the part where i Crack open a can of beer on the beach on an 85-degree day. That's pretty good. Um, Robbie, you're not admittedly a beer guy. Is, do you have a reason for that? I don't, we've never, I don't know that I've ever seen you drink anything other than a Miller Lite. <laughs> I, I like beer. Um, I used to, we used to go, I'm here in Atlanta, so uh, Sweetwater is kind of the big craft craft brewery right here and i've had friends that work there and um we used to go all the time but uh no i just i, I don't know like part of it was when i i kind of went on um when i when i started trying to trying to lose weight it was it was more like i just cut like all drinking out and yeah. at this point i uh i don't drink as much but i, I always I, I mean like i enjoy beer but i, I just don't like I don't. I don't drink as much at home. Um, there are are some some other reasons for that. Um, but yeah, like like I I mean, if 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 I'm out and like I I always I always like going to breweries and stuff just because like I really enjoy the atmosphere and all that. Um, and like if I'm out and it's available, I'm I'm I'll, I'll have a few. But um, yeah, like I, I don't know. It was, it was really more of that. I just kind of got it when I was in when I was in college. I mean, we used to um, kind of do. We were, we were all really into the craft scene and all that, and, and and drinking all that. And we used to love when we could find. Uh, this was back when it was it was kind of tough to find the the ninety minute down here. Um, but but we always we always loved that, and um, uh, we we you know I was I, IPAs are kind of the one that I always lean to, which is why. Um, it's cool to have have salmon because because dogfish IPAs are the cream of the crop. So um, as far like I don't drink a ton of it now, but that when I do go uh, and get kind of beer, I always kind of lean in that direction with the, go the IPA route just because that's what I'm comfortable with and uh, what I know I like. Sam, what was the first beer that really captivated you um, from a drinking perspective? Uh. Stealing my dad's moose head, I would say, out of his fridge. <laughs> Not quite legal to do so. But in terms of flavor intensity wise and blowing my mind on what could, what beer could be, it wasn't until after college. Like any college kid, I just drink whatever was cheapest. But after college, I worked at an awesome beer bar in Manhattan. And uh, in the, within the first week, I tried Chimay Red. 
and Sierra Nevada celebration. They blew my mind. Like Robbie said, I generally gravitate towards hoppy beers like he did. But I did want to say we've come out with a beer called Sequench Ale that I think your listeners would love. Men's Health Magazine just named it the best low-calorie beer uh, out there. Uh, and it's only 4.9% alcohol. It's nine carbs, uh, 140 calories, but it's made with sea salt and lime. So it's an awesome, awesome, sessionable beer that doesn't really you know, fill you up like others might. When you first got started in brewing, because you've been at it a while now and you've seen just probably more than anyone, um, the rise of how this became not just a passion for people and a hobby for people, which is what it was for a long time, but now people actively getting into it to turn it into a business. But it wasn't always that way. No, I mean, at Dogfish, we've never let the you know, dog of, uh, you know, the, the tail of money wave, 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 you know, wag the dog of inspiration. For us, it was an opportunity to have a creative outlet. And I grew up as an athlete, so the opportunity to kind of uh, compete against much bigger groups and be, be a David of the world and Goliaths uh, and how exhilarating that is, that was always the motivating factor for, for me is to test my own creativity and our own sort of wit and will against much bigger competitors. So that's what I love. Uh, but you're right, there's a lot of folks that have gotten into it that see more dollar signs than the opportunity to, to create themselves or, you know, express themselves creatively or grow a community, which is what we're in for at Do you tend to really look down on those those people that basically build it up, build it up, sell out, and then get out of the industry? Or is that just another part of the game for it all? I think it's, uh, it's part of the course on where the craft brewing industry is right now. you got to remember it's a relatively young group where if you look at the sort of start date of the craft brewing renaissance in America to, you know, late 70s when Inker Steam opened or 1980 when Sierra Nevada opened, you know, that's what, 30-something years? So really the pioneers in our industry are just now coming to retirement age, and if they don't have children who are coming up to run the businesses and keep it as a family business, you understand that they might want to monetize their life's work. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem, though, with a lot of breweries that do choose to sell out, which is their prerogative, but then are not very uh, transparent or authentic about the fact that they sold out and they presented as oh, we did this awesome partnership with a foreign-owned conglomerate or whatever. And so I think consumers, not all consumers are going to politicize their beer buying choices and care who owns their, the beer that they're drinking. But I do think all consumers deserve to have the information present and, and know by looking at the packaging who really owns the beer that they think is made at a little indie craft brewery in their, in their state but might be you know, owned by one of the world's biggest uh, foreign conglomerates. Yeah, you go to the, the grocery store and you have the craft beer section and certain ones are obviously priced lower than other ones because they have the mass distribution and you think, oh, well, this is a nice craft brewery. This is going to be wonderful and that's a great price point. I've heard of that one and yeah. it, it kind of gets overwhelmed. Some of the other maybe more local 
maybe, you know, still mom and pop ones that are charging what they charge because they kind of have to because they don't have the ability to mass produce it the way they do. I mean, it's not necessarily a bad thing to get beers out there that are accessible as long as the quality is still to the right standard. But like you're saying, I think there needs to be some more transparency there. Yeah, so the consumer can just make a, if they care to know who makes their beer, and then they can say, oh, okay, that makes sense why that that 12-pack is only 12 bucks. It was made by the world's biggest brewery, but it's advertised as if it came from this tiny little facility in the Midwest. Okay, I care or I don't. At least I know. I think that's important because, like you said, true indie craft breweries don't have the economies of scale to charge, uh, you know, discounted prices for our beer. Uh, and I think a lot of consumers, you know, for the same reason consumers fall in love with the teams in their home cities, part of it is the sense of tethering yourself to your home terroir and wanting to be part of that community. And certain indie breweries are truly part of that community. The money that they take in stay in that community. And certain breweries that are marketed as if they're local craft breweries, you know, the majority of the profits go out of the country. Sam, you mentioned uh, you had an athlete background, and if I remember correctly, you're the captain of your high school football team. What position did you play, and uh, uh, where in high school did you play? So I grew up in western Massachusetts, out near Amherst, Mass, and uh, went to a school up there called Northfield, Mount Hermon. It's really well known for its basketball program. It has one of the best high school basketball programs in the country. Uh, our football program, not so much between by between uh, you know middle school and high school, uh, I, I was captain of the football team by my senior year in high school, playing inside linebacker at a whopping 178 pounds. <laughs> but all seven years of football that I played, I've never won a football game. Not even one win. Awkward pause. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, that's more impressive sometimes than making the playoffs. That's really tough to do. Yeah, I mean, we were. In a, I was a day student at a prep school that we competed against these massive prep schools like Cushing and Andover. We used to get all these post-grad rock stars on the way to yeah. D1 football, and we just would get our ass kicked week after week. I just remember being a skinny little inside linebacker and looking at fullbacks that look like it could be my dad with great <laughs> beards and stuff. So the uh, the college football lifestyle was, was not not something that was going to be happening for you then? No, I mean, I did get recruited to play Division three football, and I got into Ohio Lesbian and Muhlenberg okay. College. I ended up going to Muhlenberg. I did go to tryouts as a freshman, and uh, I had already had both my rotator cuffs uh, repaired from you know tackling and I ripped it out again in preseason and that was that I kept I kept playing hockey hockey was my other sport so I played hockey through college but it was kind of like that, that perseverance of you know getting the, the crap kicked out of you in football and getting back up the next week certainly informed my entrepreneurial journey because Dogfish started as literally the smallest brewery of 600 we opened in 1995 and then kind of more relevant, you know, I, I developed, when you see our 60-minute or 90-minute IPA, they basically have football in their DNA. I'm sure a bunch of your listeners remember those vibrating football games from the 80s and 90s, the 
You know, the dudes on the playing field. I basically MacGyvered one of those vibrating football games with a perforated bucket full of pelletized hops and duct tape over it where I'd fill the bucket with pelletized hops and lean the football game over our boil kettle. And just by changing the angle of the football game, I could control how many vibrating hops ran down the field into the boiling beer. And that's how Dr. Shed's concept of continually hopping our IPAs were born. So football did come in importantly for a victory in my life that way. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to use the mechanical football game to do anything to your favor. So to be able to Jimmy rig that is its own. Yeah. Like you were saying, it's its own victory. Yeah. When I used to play as a teenager, you always had that one dude over the corner just kind of blue donuts, crazy (laughs) eyes, totally useless. I guess it could be a sex toy. I don't know. Other than that, we won't use it for continual hopping. Is it safe to say that you guys aren't doing that anymore? Uh, we've built a much more <laughs> sweet, you know, pneumatic cannon that every minute shoots a fistful of hops into the boiling beer. I think you should just make giant versions of electric football machines and, and take it back to the roots. I think that would be... That would be strong. Just like really big electric football machines shooting hops in. Right. I can see see bar promos where we kind of, you know, Crisco up the surface and people have to try to get across the side without tipping their beer on the vibrating football game. There you go. Just bring competition to everything. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You guys just talked about the NBA uh, finals here. One of my favorite brews of my life is I got to brew a beer with Chris Bosch down in Florida at his house in California. So he is very noted in his like super crazy, like he loves beer. He started a beer blog. So what was that like? I mean, his brain is, is super fascinating to me. He's a guy I've wanted to interview forever because he takes these, these projects and then he gets just obsessed with them. And, and it seems like beer is one of them for him. Yeah, he's an awesome, awesome guy. And uh, so, long, long story, a little less long. He was out at his house in California when he emailed me, and was a big beer lover. And I was doing a, a beer show on Complex. Uh, and we developed a recipe together. His grandfather, they called him Daddy Jack, was like a champion barbecue dude from Texas and had his own secret barbecue spice recipe that was passed down for generations. Chris Bosch got that recipe. I got this tiny little electric brewing system that made two gallons of beer at a time, and I rented a stretch Hummer limousine, and I went out and got him at his house in California, and we plugged this little electric brewery into the back of the limousine, and we kind of drove through L.A., stopping at spice shops to pick up the right spots of spices for the mix. And then uh, we premiered the beer at his favorite restaurant in Miami, and yeah, I had, like, you know, Rick Ross was there, and... Uh, Little Wayne and all these amazing dudes. But the best part was when I went to register the name Daddy Jack, I had to tell Chris, hey man, bad news. Someone already took the name with the federal government. He's like, yeah, Sam, that was me. When I retire retire from basketball, this is what I want to do. I want to open a little craft brewery and make Daddy Jack beer. So that shows how honest his passion is. There were some weeks where randomly I get an email from Chris Bosch asking me about the best temperatures to be lagering at. I'm like, dang, should he be focused on the season, my friend? But uh, he's 
The passion is real. The passion is real with Chris Voss. He's an awesome guy. How's the taste? Really good. So it's a dark, like, stout, but if you can envision those nice uh, sort of roasty coffee notes that you get, that caramelized coffee note you get in good barbecue, uh, that was really what was sort of high in the taste profile of, of the beer that we did together. And I do hope he opens a little brewery someday and, and makes that Daddy Jack beer. I think people would love it. I think it, it just shows really interesting directions athletes can go with their own personal brand once they're you know physical. They can't be on the court any, anymore, but they can still express their awesome personalities creatively with projects like that. Are there any other athletes who have reached out to you in the past or have had an interest in, in doing this? Because like you're saying, they all have those outlets that they want and a lot of them will jump into fashion. Other guys will open restaurants, but I mean, we've all got to believe beer kind of unites everyone in some respects because it's that physical act of enjoying something with someone or taking time out of your day to just appreciate that moment. And, you know, now that it is, it's a young industry for, in a lot of standpoints, but it's growing and people see, you know, this is another thing that we can do to, you know, really f- find that outlet. It's just it's, it's that in between between cooking and also opening a business that's a, a sweet spot a little bit. Yeah, that's an elo- eloquent way to, to put it for sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've had other opportunities because our brewery has done a, cl- a lot of collaborations with everyone from like Mario Vitale to the Grateful Dead. And yeah, we've been approached by some really big name athletes, you know, Hall of Fame athletes, whatever, um, to do projects like the one we did with Chris Bosch. But it definitely felt more like, hey, pay me some money to put my name on your label. It didn't feel like an authentic collaboration, like a creative journey with somebody who truly was passionate about making the beer. So thus far, Chris Bosch was the only one that felt right for our brand. Um, But I'm hoping there'll be others in the future. One of the, the most fun things for me when I was trying my hand at brewing and, you know, I, I don't have quite as much free time as I used to is it's those happy accidents where you're trying to make something you follow the recipe the best you can based on one you've read or, you know, a recommendation someone else gave you because so much of it is still that, that oral passing of do this, don't do that. And you end up with a beer that tastes completely different from how you expected it to or... It, it surprises you. And I was curious if there were any that you made where you felt like you were going down a certain road and then you ended up with this crazy happy accident um, that really informed something you do later on or became almost like a, a pet project for you at Dogfish. Uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, because when we opened in 95, there were no other breweries in America that focused on bringing bringing – uh, bringing culinary ingredients into the world of commercial beer. There were maybe, you know, breweries that did one-offs or something, but Don, we were the first brewery to say our goal as a brewery was to brew, always brew the majority of our beers with culinary ingredients instead of uh, just following, you know, modern beer styles. Um, and when we first did our first fruit-infused uh, IPA 1996, it wasn't considered cool. We were considered heretics and jerks for screwing with this, 
you know, famous English beer style that I put in fruit in it. I remember going to my first beer festival and standing up and talking about the beer, and the next brewer got up to talk about his beer, and he said, I believe fruit belongs in your salad, not in your beer. You know, the whole room was clapping, and I felt like a jerk. And uh, But now, in the last 20 years, the concept of fruit-infused IPAs that's the fastest growing subsection of IPAs, which is the fastest growing beer style uh, in the history of America. And because now our, our flesh and blood beer, which is our IPA with lemon flesh and blood orange juice, is, is one of our fastest growing beers in history. And I'm really proud that Dogfish innovated the first commercial fruit-infused IPA. And we took a lot of crap for it in the mid-90s, but we stayed with the fruit IPA style. And, it's cool to see it gaining national traction, you know, in, in every state uh, now, but it definitely wasn't something people were excited about when we first came out with it in 96. My dad has been out to the brewery and, and has sent me, you know, the board of all of the limited run stuff that you guys do. And I, I was wondering, do you have one that was maybe the craziest uh, small batch that you've made or one that was maybe just a total failure uh, but it, you know, it, it, through experimentation, you always learn something. Well, yeah, I'm Italian, Italian by heritage. Uh, in fact, our brewery has two full-length bocce courts outside of it, and we love bocce as a sport because you can compete at the highest level without putting down your drink, right? Uh, so for us as co-workers, we come out on Friday afternoon, play bocce together, drink beers, and see where the creative ideas flow. And there's this company in, I think, New Jersey that makes this awesome stuff. I think they're called Obis or Obis One. And they make this stuff called black crack garlic. And it's this roasted garlic that's like sweet and caramely garlic. And we brewed this uh, with Mario Vitali and the guys in Italy in New York City where we helped to do the recipes and brewing stuff. We brewed this beer called Garlic Breath, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, because we added garlic throughout the breadth of the production of the beer, and because it gave you wicked bad garlic breath. Um, we thought it would just be the best beer to pair with spaghetti, but uh, suffice to say, a super garlic-forward, roasty, dark beer was not a very strong sell. That said, though, I mean, if you're someone who really likes garlic, I, I feel like it might be a winner for people, but it's not going to be a big seller. No, and I think I probably put in too much garlic. It was kind of oozing out of your pores by, by the end of the second pint. <laughs> so it's not for everybody. Not for everybody, no. But I, I think, like, like you said, maybe it was a beer before its time. Maybe I should brew it again with a little less, uh, a little less garlic next time. What keeps you doing this? Because, like you were saying, a lot of people, they, they might tap out or they'll pass it on to, to family members, but... You, you can tell you still have such a big passion for the process and, and for everything that goes into it. And, you know, it, it shows in the quality of what Dogfish is doing, but also in the experimentation and that, that creative process that continues to this day there. Oh, man, I'd say two things that probably have equal importance to me. The simplest is obviously that opportunity to express my own creativity, you know, to be on a paddleboard at 8 a.m. some morning here in coastal Delaware and think of an idea for a beer that's never been produced commercially 
and by 9.30 be in a meeting with a bunch of brewers and sourcing the ingredients to brew it a week later. That's what gets me stoked about my work. And then equally important is, you know, we started, my wife and I, this was the smallest brewery in the country. Now we're top 20 brewery out of 5,000 and I have 250 coworkers. And this opportunity that we have to build a team, you know, where all these different, uh, you know, coworkers have complementary skills. I didn't imagine when I started that, that it'd be so rewarding not just to be doing what I love to do with creative recipes, but putting together what I think could be the ultimate team. And again, I think my my background as an athlete influences that. You know, I didn't do I didn't do uh, pole vaulting or distance running. I did hockey and and football until inspired. I, I know. Uh, the Patriots are beloved by some and very polarizing, but if you take, uh, you know, a story like the Patriots where a quarterback's, you know, on the marketplace worth X dollars in a salary, but makes that choice to give up some of that salary to get a better team around them. You know, I think that's what Ryan and I are doing here every day. We love staying in this thing, but we're not trying to get rich and cash out. We're trying to use the financial strength of our company to entice you know, awesome leaders with complementary skills to ours to join our team and make it that much more awesome. With uh, with your sports backup, we, we have to ask, do you have a finals prediction? If, if we do end up, we're probably going to get Cavs, Cavs Warriors, unfortunately for, for you. I'm sure the Celtics don't appear to be, uh, don't, don't appear like they're going to make it to the next round, but but what do you think we see in Cavs Warriors? You know, from a, from a culinary and beer perspective, you know, I gotta, I gotta root for the Cavs. I won't say any specific members of the teams, but my my best friends that are restaurateurs in Miami, where I did that Chris Bosh event, are now opening up a, a restaurant in in Cleveland uh, with a, with a certain uh, member of the team. And so my heart is with them as they go into these finals. Cause I'm hoping to be drinking beer with them in Cleveland at that restaurant uh, next year. Very nice. And which beer is the best one to be drinking uh, if you're watching a basketball game? Oh, let's see. Well, how many minutes is a pro basketball game? 48. That would be 48, yeah. <laughs> I think we're going to have to make a, a special 48-minute IPA for that. There you one. go. And we could sell that at the, uh, at the restaurant next year. Maybe it's around finals time. That would be cool. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us on the Hit Me podcast. It was a, a real pleasure um, picking your brain a little bit and learning about your process. Oh, my pleasure, Mark. Thank you guys for giving me this opportunity. And uh, anyone looking for more info on Dogfish, check out dogfish.com. And uh, thanks for this chance to chat beer, sports, and my, my, some of my favorite loves today. Well, that was awesome, huh, Robbie? Yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. Um, Learn, learn some things about the brewing press. I really enjoyed the electric football. And Dude, I didn't know that. That's such a good one. That's like, such a good I can't wait for my dad to listen to this one because I don't think he knew that either. And like I said, that's – I don't want to say this and maybe be wrong, but I, I'm 99% sure that that's his favorite brewery. I mean when he goes out there, he's like, you need to be here and takes a picture of the breakfast <laughs> house that they have and all of the like – 
crazy things that they're brewing up. They've even got these non-alcoholic, like they're not quite sodas. They're something else that supposedly are just amazing and probably make really good mixers. Oh yeah, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah. And like, I also, re- I, now I just really want to talk with Chris Bosch about barbecue. Right. Is I the mean, number one thing. Like that's, I'm putting that on my list of like dream interviews is, is, Nothing about basketball exclusively. You're just Barbe- become our barbecue, barbecue correspondent. I just yeah, <laughs> dude. Like I just want to go like smoke some meats with Chris Bosch. Just have a couple pilsners with C Bosch. Yeah, good. talk about uh, talk about computer coding. <laughs> like Bosch is such an interesting dude. Like he was anytime you run into him, you would run into him in the locker room. Like he always had like a different book he was reading, um, and like he's just such a. Just a, you, you mentioned it like he's such an interesting individual with the way he like he dives into these things. Like you, you mentioned the computer coding, like he just like self taught himself like all this coding stuff because he just wanted to and he thought it was interesting. And like, um, I like we've seen some stuff. Like I think Tom Haberstroh did something a little while. Friend of the program uh, did something with Bosch a little while back for, for ESPN, kind of about that stuff. But like. I, I would love to do something with him about like barbecue and, and beer and well, just kind of like how he, yeah how he sees his post because obviously like there's so much up in the air right now with his career um, and he's not ready for basketball to end. No, but, like, and he's, he's not an idle mind. That guy is going to no, have to stay busy. Bus- you can tell he needs to stay busy, but you know, what's yeah. really interesting is, is we talk about this, the millennial quotation thing and kind of the negatives of the millennial um, generation all the time. But one of the things that doesn't come up much about it is how easy it is coming up in today as a millennial where you had that transition from not having Google, not having the internet at your fingertips all the time and then having it and what it did for those like really creative, curious minds where you now at any given moment can look up, search, figure out and, and dive into any subject. And there are those people yeah. out there who they're insatiable with that. Like learning is their drug. And Chris definitely seems like one of those people. Yeah, it's it's cool. Like if you just – you can kind of – and that's how you become like engulfed in this stuff is like you don't have to really chase down too much. You just follow – you can just kind of dive into a rabbit hole um, without really having to go out of your way uh, to, to learn about kind of any subject. Um, and, and it's cool and – uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that's, that's been, been a huge, like, you don't have to like go sit in a library and, and crank out like a bunch of books to try and figure stuff out. Like you just follow a few links and, and next you thing think, you know, you're, do you think you're he's one there. of those dudes who, uh, who's always like clicking on the YouTube how to's. I bet he is. He's probably doing that right now. He's like trying yeah, he's to rewire like, a, a home security system on his own. <laughs> I feel like. His wife is probably like, he's always like redoing something in the house. <laughs> you know, like he's just like always home improvement. And Chris Bosch is going to be in it. He's just going <laughs> to add more power. I love it. <laughs> he's just like always, yeah, he's just like, he finishes, he decides to like get more power out of the dishwasher and like it's not, it doesn't clean right. So he wants a little, and he's like rewiring shit all the time. I, I think Chris Bosch is just always going. And, like, it takes, like, I, I bet that's just a lot for, like, friends and stuff like that. Like, he's probably just always coming up with these 
schemes. incredible schemes and ideas for like what could be ne- like I bet his business manager just gets text at three in the morning like I figured it out like used, here's what we're doing next used luxury handbags <laughs> <laughs> he's just always got some idea he's so he's, up. he's basically like he's Tom Haverford meets Tim Taylor yes I think that's the perfect <laughs> I think that's the perfect match of Chris Bosch I love it I really it's do beautiful. um yeah, so no, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, seriously, to shout out to Sam Caligione from uh, from Dogfish. Um, I will butcher names forever, which is why I don't get mad when people at Starbucks call me Mark. I'll just be <laughs> fine with it because chances are I'm going to say your name wrong at some point in time. It is yeah. not a disrespect thing. It is just because I am a I'm bad at a lot of things, and that's one of them. Yes, it's, uh, I try really hard to like, once I like, I want somebody to like say it for me so I can be like, all right. And then try to commit that. Cause like, it's one of those things, and it like to kind of tie it into the NBA. It's one of those things where, especially with, um, uh, people of like foreign descent with their name, like, I think it's a respect thing to try and get it right. Like I always get frustrated when people are like, Oh, Yamas on Telekumpo is so hard to say. It's like, no, it's not. Like, show enough respect for, like, that dude to, like, learn to say it. Like, when announcers say that, it, it's, like, it kind of bothers me. Yeah, you would like, think this that's is something that you job. could learn. Like, you just it's type not, it in like, to it's, Google. You, like, learn the phonetic thing. Like, get somebody to tell you it. And, like, if, if like, that's, like, your job. Like, if you're an announcer, like, calling him the Greek freak the entire time, like, you can learn the dude's name. <laughs> just because he's Greek doesn't mean you, like... Go, well, shit, can't do that. Like I, I do appreciate the people who will try it and they just fail favorite. miserably and then they'll try it five other, six other times, but they're not I'm giving up. For, I'm here for like Clyde just going for it uh, all the time. Um, He's the best. Shout out to Clyde Frazier, who so, is another guy that if you ever find yourself sitting with, he just goes. You're lucky. Talks. Is what you are. I used to when he when the Knicks would come to Atlanta, I would always just like he would always be sitting there, just kind of like by himself in the media dining room, and like I just kind of like go up and sit, like not like just like plop down right across from him, but kind of the table like adjacent to him, uh, like at the same table, but like across one and like over one, so I wasn't like crowding his space, and like he's just a really friendly dude and would always like start talking and. Um, I would just get him to talk about old basketball stuff. And it was, he would just go for like 30 minutes until somebody was like pulling him out of the dining room because they're like, Clyde, you have to do pregame. The game is in three minutes, Clyde. (laughs) Clyde, please. Um, And also like seeing everybody talks about the suits. His shoe game is more impressive. He has like boots for every suit. Like, gator skin, like, if he's wearing, like, a yellow suit, he has yellow gaiters on. I'm telling you, Robbie, this is another story idea. You shouldn't be sharing these things. I'm I'm sorry. Please write it. This is our our IP. You can't, no one one else can have it. Every idea shared on the It Me podcast (laughs) is copyright of (laughs) It Me Enterprises, LLC. (laughs) 
at runthedangball.com. Yeah, you can find all of our ideas at <laughs> runthedangball.com and larbonjams.com. Larbon. Um, speaking of Larbon, uh, has your mind changed at all after watching the conference finals and a majority of them as one team has a 3-1 lead and we all know that that's the most safe lead in all of basketball? Yep. Do you still think that this is the Warriors' finals to lose, or has there been any evidence one way or the other that is, has made you think that the Cavs can repeat? Okay, so it is the Warriors' finals to lose, but the Cavs can repeat if they play. The thing is, the Cavs have to play five to six games at their best. That's the problem. That's the problem with the Warriors, is it's not about playing your four best games. The Warriors will win one of those. Maybe two. Yeah, that's true. They're gonna That's the thing. And this is what the East has tried to do against LeBron. This is this is like now LeBron is learning what you have to do against him. Like it's kind of like he's looking in the mirror of what everyone else in the East has has, has known for a while. Um, that was so play... heartbreaking for Boston in game four, by the way. Oh, I don't, I don't mean God. to derail this, but no, I, I was just thinking about a very specific LeBron possession where he's off and he just turns right around on Jalen Brown and wills this turnaround jumper in. With like, was at the shot clock goes off. And then it's it what, eight points at that point. And then he comes down and he buries another jumper and buries a three. And he just takes his time. And I think that's the one thing with LeBron. He always used a lot of the shot clock and would pound the ball into the ground. But I think there's this really weird sense of zen that he's having, Mm -hmm. even when the team's down, even when they're not playing their best, even when it's an extremely critical possession, where he almost has a Doctor Strange-like control of time. Mm -hmm. And everyone else is freaking out and running around, and he just, he's done this. He's done this so many times. He's He's so comfortable in the moment. He's lived this timeline over and over and over and over again, it's Groundhog Day for it, it him. It is. And it's, There's it's nothing nothing amazing. about a game six, a game seven, a game four. Like, no situation is something he hasn't been in. Up or down, in need of a win, in either scenario. Like, game four, the Cavs had to win it. Yeah, You don't want to go back to Boston having lost two in a row to a team without their star. Like, all of a sudden, like, that crowd in Boston, if they had won game four... Yeah, you're, then, you're back like against gonna, the gonna wall. You're going to bite, and you're going to keep on fighting until someone isn't standing anymore. But now they're yeah. broken. I mean, you. Oh, I mean, like that. I mean, I, I, they'll come out, and I wouldn't be surprised if they have a first half lead again. But I, I think at this point, they just. I think at this point, they know they don't have the horses to run with, run with the Cavs, and and the the biggest thing that that changed in Game Four was the fact that. Um, Kyrie's the, back. Kyrie, Kyrie, Kyrie got it going, and um, he's his his ability. And this is going to be the biggest thing for the Cavs against the Warriors, and it's going to have to be not game to game. It's going to have to be quarter to quarter. Uh, they have to get the sense of who's who's got the hot hand on that Cavs team. Yeah, and they have to. That's what they didn't do in, in Game Three. Kevin Love was it for the first half, and they never found it in the second half. They never yeah. found a guy that could sustain the, the the run um their defense is not good enough to where they can take quarters off against the warriors uh, as far as offense they can't have 
they can't be force feeding the ball to a guy that's not going. You have to make the switch quickly. Um, what they did in game four is LeBron's not working. Okay, Kyrie, you go. You know, Love played well in the first quarter. Like he was getting some buckets and he was aggressive and getting those tip ins. And mm-hmm. uh, that tip in he had off uh, in game three, I thought was going to be it. I thought that was the win that he tipped it in to take the two point. I think it was one of three, one of one. Yeah. Um, I thought that was that was going to be a bit props to Boston for uh, hanging in there. Um, I thought that was going to be the end of that. You know, it's you know, what's interesting, though, is so Kyrie hasn't looked like himself for a majority of the playoffs. And really, that that game was the first time he's looked like Kyrie since the playoffs started. But this is maybe the first time Kevin Love has looked like himself in the playoffs in any of the three seasons that he's been with the Cavaliers. For a yeah, sustained period of time. He's seen and it's it's not the fact that he's like shooting well. No, it's the it's rebounding the fact that he's aggressiveness. engaged on the boards. That yeah. was the thing that set him apart in Minnesota. And it's something that I've the positioning that they have him in in Cleveland takes away that offensive rebounding that was legitimately his best attribute in Minnesota on the offensive end. Like you loved that he could shoot. Uh you loved that he could go to work in the post, but he was at his best because that, that, I mean they weren't a great shooting team, but he just ate up boards and yeah, he was a great three offensive guys rebound. around him and he'd whip he one down with one arm. arm. Yeah, great and then that outlet arms. too. And and yeah, and so like he's at his best when he's pulling in rebounds and either on the offensive and defensive glass and and that's he's been way more engaged the last two games. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, but the thing with the Warriors is they they have to get great performances like more than four games to be Golden State because somebody on Golden State is going to give you 30. One of them. Yeah. One of them is going to give you 30. One of them is going to give you 25. One one's going to give you 22. Yeah. And then like that's, what, what, that's do you what you do? got to do. Mm-hmm. And you just have to be better. Like you literally just have to outplay them. And, and it's really hard to do for four games. And I think the way the Warriors are playing – you you know the the thing the Cavs have that no one else has is confidence against that team that, yeah. to know that you've done it and, and that plays a role but at the same time they haven't done it against this Warriors team um, which is obviously a different entity and I I think the thing that Kevin Durant brings is an added bit of stability to where mm-hmm. last year we saw and it, it was especially notable in Game Seven was. When Steph wasn't right, when Steph was off, and in Game 7, there's no doubt that Steph was off. When Steph wasn't right, they didn't have anybody else that really initiated. Yeah, I mean, Game 7 was Draymond's game. Right. And so you had Draymond, but, like, they need somebody else on the perimeter that initiates. You you don't really want Klay Thompson dribbling the ball around a ton, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to initiate the offense. It's just not his It's hard to imagine them having all of those guys off in the same game. Yeah. Especially and, with a team defensively like the Cavs, who maybe that's not their strong suit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's the thing is the Cavs defense has to be engaged in a way that. Like is really going to go three for 13 and Steph struggles or is a little bit yeah. banged up and only plays 30 minutes and Durant goes one of nine in the fourth. Like that's a, that's a lot to ask for. You have, you have to have a lot of factors go into, or you just have to have great games from, from your three guys. You have, to have, you have three. Yeah. But not yeah, only that, have, what's nice about the Cavs this year, which is really interesting and we'll see it 
if it even makes a difference. But it, it's what killed the Cavs were those bench units that the Warriors had. They were playing with them, with LeBron, especially in that first finals. But the second one, too, where you then bring in Livingston and, and Iguodala and you move Draymond to be the center linchpin of everything, and you've got all these other guys in there kind of adding to it, whether it's Spates or Barnes playing minutes, whatever. But now they, they don't have most of those dudes. They don't really rely on more than six or seven guys in the playoffs. So yeah, in, are the Cavs going to be Cavs. able to use that depth that they have with Corver, JR, Shumpert, Duran? and everyone else, or is it going to be a tightened-up bench rotation and you're just going to run horses versus horses? I, I think I think when you get down to it, I think it's going to be horses versus horses. You're going to – I'm really excited. The, the thing that excites me the most is that the Cavs now have the death lineup against the Warriors. And, like, it remains to be seen if they can keep up, but it's going to be so much fun when you have the – Love, Corver, Kyrie, JR, LeBron unit going up against that Warriors death lineup with KD, Steph, Clay, Dre, and uh, Iggy or Sean, whoever they throw out. And like, it's just going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun when they, when they just throw those five small ball, five, five minute small ball units out that just like light it up. I mean, you're going to be, you're gonna be looking at crazy offensive ratings, yeah. wildly high defensive ratings for both of those units if they match them up. Because we've seen when it, it I, the thing with the Cavs that they're gonna have to get is they're gonna have to get some special games out of Jr. and Kyle Korver. That's Which is gonna possible. Be, you can't defend possible. everyone. It's possible, but like the the thing that I see is like you gotta the the hardest thing is you gotta have those games and the same games that you have great LeBron and Kyrie games. That's yeah. the tough part. Well, it, you know, there's only been be, one bad LeBron game in the entirety of the playoffs. Whatever you say about game four. Game four was – he was off. Like, I mean, I know he ended up with 34 on over 50% shooting. He was much better in the second half, especially the fourth quarter. But uh, he can't have first halves like that. Um, and he just looked he's, – he just looked slow on defense. That was the biggest thing. Offense was, he was sick. He probably had yeah, yeah, salmon again. Yeah. He's got to stop doing that. No more fish. Careful, it's the mercury. No more fish in the playoffs, LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> well so. cooked, well cooked chicken for you, sir. Just over, um, just burn just it. Overdone, burn that chicken. Light that salmonella on fire. Just be safe. Yeah, I call it salmonella. I don't care. I get it. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I still I, and think this will really justify. It, it'll justify the entire playoffs. If we it's actually be great. get another great finals out of this. I think here's the thing, I think it can be great in five games. I think it can be great in six games. It doesn't yeah, have to go seven. It doesn't even have to go six. Like I said, like you can generally you could genuinely have five great games and the Warriors win four one, and it's not a referendum on the Cavs being shitty. It's just it, the Warriors just might have more horses. You talk See, about horses they just might have more in I uh It'll be interesting. I still, for some reason, and I've said it all year, I just I think the Cavs have it. And I don't know. There's not a real rational reason, reason for me to pick this. There hasn't been, which is why it's been impossible for me to say it out loud. But something tells me something goes wrong for Golden State, and they just can't fix it. I don't know what that something is. And I don't want it to be an injury, and I don't think it's going to be an injury. But I just think 
something happens. There's been too much success. I don't know. I mean, like, it would be it would be interesting to see. I, I, like, the they're, thing, they're the they're the best team ever if they go through the through the entirety of the playoffs without losing a game. Like, I get that. And no matter what, how many people who have been injured in their path, it still counts. Yeah. But like, what's your com- like? What's your comparison of teams that? can do it like there has to be something standing in the way from a narrative perspective and i know narratives don't exist but like there's got to be something that stands in their way or something yeah. that goes wrong or something that that makes it drama filled because you and know like the league, I said, I their league's rigged and everything be, anyway so <laughs> i think it could be in-game stuff like i i really yeah, don't yeah, think it, it has to be serious stuff i really think it can be five ga- five tough games that they play i just you know i will always come back to the, the, the psychological element has something to do with it. And even in the one they won, they sh- LeBron shook them a little. And then things went so well for them early in that series last year. They thought, oh, we're successful. We're great. We're going to do this. And I'm not I just hope they learn not to talk shit about LeBron this year. Just don't talk about just his don't, parenting skills. If somebody asks about LeBron James, you say he's, he's arguably the best player. player in the world. Hell, you just say he's the best player in the world. Suck it up. <laughs> just be like, look, he's the best player in the world. He's playing great. Like we just, we just have to try to control. Like, we can no, control. No and, baby bottle emojis. No man's. No. But I want that. The obvious. No, I, I know, mean, ideally they do it. Officially, we want this for, 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 the, for hashtag the content for petty season, and for also the fact that it makes LeBron want to drop forty yeah. ten and ten on you, um, and but that's I, phenomenal. The, but the, the thing on top of smart, it, Robbie, for you don't me, say though, is is this. LeBron Durant thing. Like we'll see. If if Kevin comes out and lights the world on fire, like, yay, he gets the demon off his back and he finally wins one and this was all justified and right and he did what he needed to do and Yay, Kevin. It's gonna be the worst thing for him. Well the I mean the worst thing's losing. The worst thing's losing by far. But the if second just, the worst if thing. He just be, sucks. Yeah, him playing poorly if and then shoots, winning. Woo! All the all the he had to ride the coattails. They're gonna come back, even though it wasn't really true. However, look, here's the thing: the Warriors are in such a weird spot because Steph and KD both have to have a really good series for their personal narratives. Because and like they don't <laughs> they don't care. They they could give you know two the shit one player get that the one player who really truly does not care about his personal narrative on that it's team. Clay Thompson it's Clay it's Clay Thompson <laughs> Clay can get shit okay he's just, like just collecting his rings and he'll just be fine does he's, not matter because guess what he's gonna have a quarter where he has twenty three points and nobody will remember anything else yep Clay Thompson <laughs> will have. It's going to be like game you know, three. I'll say, oh, Clay was fine in the playoffs, right? And then you look it up and he shot 31%. Who like cares? 27% if you take out the one quarter. Well, because nobody cares. No. Because nobody cares. But if, if he's Steph, their if JR. Steph, that's what it is. But he's just yeah. a very, very, very good JR. Like JR like, was one of eight from three and no one ever notices because, well, <laughs> did LeBron have a good game? Shoot or shoot. You know, like whatever. Like, yeah, that's, that's the thing. He's like evolutionary JR. Um, but yeah, no, like if, if Steph, you know, like especially after last year, you know, everybody's going to be like, oh, it's clearly not the ankle. He can't play, you know, like you don't have the ankle injury to fall back on this time. If he's like just like – and the thing is Steph's never been bad. He's just been like not 
as good as he was in the regular season, which is what's supposed to happen when you play the best team in the league for seven games. That's what's supposed to happen. Like, but I understand the frustration because you go, well, look what LeBron's doing. Well, LeBron's not human and he's the best basketball player to ever play. And why we don't have to compare everyone to LeBron. Like we don't or have to Michael. compare everyone to Michael. Yeah. It's not like just lock those two away. And, like, except that they are the best to ever do it. And you could be like, look, Steph's been very good. Like that's your wild card. Like the reason that wild cards are wild cards in card games anyway is that's your trump. You just throw yeah. it down and it can be yeah. anything you want it to be. But if you rely on those or you're always trying to compare another card to that card, that's not fair. It ever is not fair. Oh, it's, oh, like, well, playing, not it's like playing spades. Like Steph's like the ace of spades and LeBron's the big joker. Like yeah, that just, wins, that wins all hands who before. changes the rules on you. And you it plays like, all the hands for, and then the big joker comes out, and you go, well, 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 crap. And, like, so now you got the ace, and now you got the king, and you got, like, the jack of spades. So, like, even if, you know, the Cavs have the big joker, that's only one hand. Which is also not to say that if LeBron has a bad game or two in the finals, mm-hmm. that we have to immediately put a moratorium on him. Oh, is he done? Is he cooked? Is he finally over the hill? What? Because he had three total bad games in the entirety of a playoffs. Yeah. So, because sample yeah, size always matters until it doesn't, until it's conveniently until left until out. until it confirms my thought. Until I'm right. <laughs> until I'm right. When I'm right. Correct. But uh, I, yeah, I think it's gonna be a fun. It's gonna be a good finals. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. I hope it goes as long as possible, but. If it goes five games, it goes five games. It's going to be fun. And then we get to draft season when I get to pretend like I know things about college basketball. Can't wait. I am going to be bringing takes. Yeah, that's the only Uh, time you have takes. It's the only time I have takes because it's the only time I'm willing to let myself say something on a topic that I'm relatively uninformed on. Because it doesn't matter if you're wrong. And that's when people got to That's when hot takes happen. Hot takes happen either when you just don't care. And, like, your job is to bring them. Or you're uninformed about most of it and just, like, want to pretend like you are. That's how the takes happen. I'm going to give you a little peek behind the curtain. That's how most most writers come up with takes is, like, your local columnist that brings some fire about the NBA team in your city late in the season, he probably was there twice all year. All right? I know, I know how it works here in Atlanta. Yeah, but man, postal workers work really hard, and LeBron shouldn't be sitting. Boy, we got to get Dockage on the pod. 